Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Hello, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 157. As you know, I, like you, am going on no voyages right now. The episodes for the past month or so have been recorded remotely. I can't go anywhere. You can't go anywhere. But we are here together. And honestly, I've been really fortunate to have some uh, really incredible guests lately. I've been really excited about these music episodes. Oh, man. It's been really great, and today's episode is no different. My guest for today is Annika Bennett. Annika is, like I said, a musician. She is a singer-songwriter. And when did I... I saw her back in December at a So Far Sound show. Those shows are cool because you don't don't know who's going to play. And it's a really cool way to be exposed to new musicians, and then you get to discover their catalog and learn their story. All the cool things that come along with finding out about a new band or an artist. So I reached out to her and was fortunate enough that she said yes. She's got a really cool story and she's quite young and I think she's got a really, really, really bright future in music ahead of her. So when this becomes one of those like, what are those shows? Making of the band or something like that? No, that was the Diddy show, right? The Dylon thing? I think so. What are those? I don't know. Behind the music or something. Yeah, that's it. Behind the music in 50 years on whatever version of MTV, VH1, Netflix, or whatever we have. And you're looking back on the career of this incredible artist. You will know that one of the first conversations to be recorded was here on the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. And that will be my tiny little piece of fame in the future, my five minutes. I'm not kidding. I really think she's going to become... Uh, something big. She's She's got a lovely voice and she writes really cool, catchy, honest songs that I think you're really going to like. So I'll include a couple of those songs in this episode and the names of those songs will be in the show notes alongside links, as always, to her social media accounts. Make sure you give her Instagram a follow because like a lot of other artists, she's doing um, some live performances right now to keep people connected and engaged and entertained while they are home. So make sure you check that out. Give her a follow and buy music, folks. She's got a couple songs on iTunes. She she mentions in this episode that she's got an album coming out later in the year. So once that's out, buy it. We need to support artists now and always really, but especially now. I also have a Patreon account. There's a link for that in the show notes for this episode. And that goes to keeping these episodes coming. There are some editing fees that I pay. I do have shirts and things like that that I fund myself. And if you are a Patreon member, you can get a shirt and stickers and things like that. So there's some cool some cool givebacks to being a Patreon account member, not account member. You know what it is. To being a patron on Patreon. Ah, okay. Here is a song called Fucked Up Summer by Annika Bennett. And that will lead you straight into the conversation that we have. I hope you enjoy it. I just lost my job. Well, I didn't want it anyways. I requested off to hang with you for a couple days. According to the boss, my priorities are far from strong. 
Yeah, so now um, I came back and I kind of bummed around for a little bit uh, without like a stable job, but now I'm back. I'm teaching, well, I'm a dean in, in Harlem. So now we're remote schooling for now. Nice. Just pretty- no, I'm sure it's, it's crazy. My, my older sister is um, just getting into like the New York City school system as a teacher. Oh yeah, okay. I forget the, the name of the school, but she was working at a uh, public school in Brooklyn and it was very like, very just difficult. Mm. <laughs> and then now obviously the school's canceled. So she's working at like one of those centers um, in Brooklyn where like kids whose parents are working can go. Yeah. And she, she's fortunate to have a job right now. I mean, it's, yeah, it's scary. I mean, I think, Definitely. I think maybe that's a good, um, a good starting point though in, um, you're, you're down in, in Nashville, right? Yeah, I am. I mean, how are you holding up? I remember, I think there was a, like a terrible tornado right before all this happened. How have you been doing? I've been, I've been good, honestly. I mean, um, I think 
I think that there are so many like silver linings to this um, for me personally that I feel like all in all, I'm doing really well. Um, I've definitely had like pretty much every other chapter of my life has been easier and less insane than this one, mm. but I just feel really lucky to have like, um, I just feel like I have so many great friends that I've been in touch with and my families, even though they're all in New York, they're awesome. And, um, and I feel really grateful that I have like a creative outlet that I felt really inspired with recently. Um, and yeah, I just feel like I've been, uh, I've been able to sort of stay in my bubble, which I think is, uh, a privilege, you know, but, um, yeah, I really, I feel like I can't complain. Yeah. The results have been really mixed with a lot of people that I've talked to. Uh, you know, some people are like, yeah, uh, I'm thriving right now, but a lot of people feel stifled because they're not able to get out. They're not able to find like the inspiration that they yeah. usually find on the day to day. You've been able to to write and to put songs together and stuff like that. Yeah, I think um, I, I definitely have, and I I think it's cool in the sense that for like the past three years, I'd say, like since I've been in Nashville, I've spent a lot of time in isolation, and it's not as like like obviously not as an extreme of an isolation as this is now, but um, I've always. I've always written music alone and with other people, but as I've gotten like a little older and just through the years of writing songs, I've been trying to really work on and figure out my solo creative process because it's so, it's either the best thing in the world or the worst. Mm. Like there's either like a day of writing by myself is like, euphoric and I love it or it makes me want to like like quit music you know what I mean so I think that a couple years ago I realized that that was something that I wanted to really like look at and work on like how do I create an environment for myself that I could really be creative in and and thrive in and it's still like not close to perfect but I just think that since I've like focused on that and like just journaled about it so much and like really tried to look at my own process that like when I'm in a time like this, I think I just know a lot of tricks and a lot of things that I can do from feeling stuck to like unstick myself or, Mm. um, I don't know. It's just like, I, I feel like it's been something I've been working on for a while, I guess. Do you find that you're generally hard on yourself when you're trying to create a finished product? I think, yeah, I think I'm hard on myself in general. Okay. (laughs) Um, But I think that, I think that I'm, and and all of this is a process because like I dream of one day getting to a place where I'm just like on that, like, like riding high all the time and just like Mm. creating everything. But, um, I've realized that there's like, there's two distinct, like, different mindsets and one is a just a very like inspired free-flowing mindset and then the other is like the more creative judgmental mindset um 
and they're both so necessary and they both can exist at the same time and should, but I, I think I'm, I'm learning when to just like let the creative part of my mind kind of like run mm. um, and to really try not to judge it because I feel like that, that is where the, the magic is. It's like in those ideas that like you, you write something and then you think, Oh, this is kind of weird or this is like a little too personal or this is like a, a, a rude thing to say or whatever. Um, but then it's like stopping that voice that's judging it from like changing it. You know what I mean? I, I understand what you're saying. I don't quite know in the sense that I've never created something in the way that you have, but I think I understand. I mean, this is, this is not really yeah. an art form. There's a bit of an art to communicating with people that I've had to learn through this. Um, but even when I go back and I do my introductions, like I hate it. <laughs> like I can't listen to these. Um, I have to do introduction. The introduction is like three minutes. I have to do them like 10 times before I think I got it right. Um, so I I have a tiny, tiny bit of what is probably much more intense for you, so I understand a little bit. <laughs> yeah. No. Also, I realized that I just like jumped full on into like creative mindset thing. I think I just like in um, like literally this morning, I was I was journaling about uh, about this exact thing, um, just because it is. I, I don't know. Like, I guess a lot of a lot of songwriters or a lot of people who um, like have to be creative I think talk about just like the two different like the editing brain maybe it's a right brain left brain thing I don't know but like the the inspired free-flowing brain and then like the editing one are just like two very different things I think yeah I think that makes sense How yeah and I think finding the balance of them at least for me is like the is something that I've, I've been working on for a while, you know. What's the experience been like to do um, sort of like the remote live stuff? I've seen you, you've done a couple of things on Instagram. You did like a benefit. What's that experience been like? Well, it's, it's actually, it's actually really fun. I, um, I think all of the, all virtual stuff is a little trippy when you think about it. Like the fact that like I'm alone in my room right now, mm. but you're like, it's, it's all a little weird. And so the, the playing a live show thing is weird in that like, there's really no, like, I don't feel a difference between playing for an audience that's virtual versus when I'm just practicing alone in my room. Um, but it's really cool. Like, to get like people commenting as you're playing and stuff. And like, that's something you don't get in a live show is like, like literal live reactions from people. And so I've been playing some, some new songs that I've been writing and it's cool. Like while I'm playing, I could read the comments. People are like, Oh, this one's great. And I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> Glad you like it. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's not, it's not a substitute for live performance. I don't think like, I don't think it's sort of, scratches that same itch but it's something different and it's really valuable in its own way I think yeah those are two really cool points because you definitely miss out on that collective almost like hive mind kind of energy that you feel when you're at a really good show I mean yeah. I'm sure you, you like you've read stuff like this before but there's even been like 
uh, like brain scan studies that show that like people's minds are on the same wavelength at the same time when like a bunch of people are playing music. Yeah, yeah really cool. But like this is it, the experience for me has been a little trippy almost. Like, um, you know, I'm 33. I started seeing bands when I was like 13, 14. And I'm watching some bands now who are like very, very grown with their own kids. Like uh, I saw the band, the Get Up Kids when I was like 14 in the city. And now their singer, Matt Pryor, I'm watching him on his front porch drinking a beer, just like looking at his mm -hmm. IG comments, playing the songs that people comment on. So that's, that's a little bit surreal. It's, it's certainly cool. Um, yeah. But it is a bit it's trippy. It's also interesting how like when I'm at a live show, I feel like, it's not that I'm opposed to like people bantering and like I'll banter when I'm playing live, but it's like everyone really is there for the music, you mm -hmm. know? And I feel like on these Instagram lives, at least personally, I find the, the banter is, or just like the engaging with people through comments and like speaking or whatever is just as entertaining. if not sometimes more entertaining than the music. Yeah. I personally, I found. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, yeah. And I don't know, I don't know what that, what that is, but like a lot of, I've like watched a ton of these live performances too. And my favorite ones are always the ones where, um, the artists are like really talking with people and yeah. Well, think about this moving forward. I hadn't even thought of this for like, let's say there's some kids out there who have never been to a concert before, and this is their first experience engaging with live music and engaging with a band. So like this is their normal where it's like so not normal for people who either play or have been going to shows for quite some time. So I wonder yeah. if, I wonder if that will sort of change how people experience things moving forward. I don't know. That's a weird yeah. thing to think about. I, mean, I, I think that like, and obviously there's going to be like impacts of this that we feel day to day for the next like, years more I don't know but I feel like even even after that I would imagine people would still um keep live streaming like live stream concerts mm. as, as a regular thing um just because I, I feel like I'm sure people did it before the pandemic but like I feel like everyone's doing it now and it's it's kind of fun to know that like any night of the week there's like 20 different live stream concerts you can just like tune into. Yeah, that is pretty cool, I guess. Like I was just thinking like I had the thought of like, I don't know, like new parents or something like that that have kids and can't quite go out but like still want to experience it. Like having shows live streamed in your home like that. That would be pretty cool, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Or they could all watch, have you seen Where the Light Is? No. Like on their live concert. No, is it really, is it amazing? It's so good. I, um, I watch it like all the time. Um, it's so good. And I remember, like, I vividly remember the first time I ever, I saw it and I was at like a family friend's house and they had a huge like projector in their living room and they were projecting this like concert video. Um, and I just remember like the feeling I got from watching it was like being at wow, a concert. That's really cool. But that, I think, I guess that's different because it's not just like somebody in their living room playing and like drinking a beer. It's, an actual like concert, you know? Yeah, yeah. Those films, but well, I guess I should explain um, how I know about you. That might make sense for people who are <laughs> listening. Um, 
I, I know, this is just the longest intro ever. About, no, 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 it's great. Um, I guess maybe I've had musicians from a few categories. Um, I've had musicians from countries that I visited to kind of get a cultural context from the place that I'm in. I've very selfishly been going back now, especially through the pandemic and interviewing a lot of people that I've looked up to for 20 plus years because I have the access to them now because people are home. And then I've had actually a number of artists on the podcast that I've been exposed to through the So Far Sound shows. So um, my partner and I, we love to go to these shows. Um, it's, yeah. I mean, if people are tuning in for the first time or are unfamiliar, it's essentially, you know the location of the show, you sign up to see, it's, it's kind of a lottery process to get in. And then if you're selected, you can purchase your tickets. And there's three artists and you don't know who's playing and you get exposed to something brand new for the first time. And I've seen, we've seen comedy at this point, hip hop, electronic stuff, spoken word. And, you know, sometimes we're like, wow, this is an amazing artist. And sometimes we're like, okay, not really my thing, but it was really cool to be exposed to something new. Yeah. We saw you in Cobble Hill in December, super, super hot venue. <laughs> and you played first. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you played first and we we really loved it. Um I remember I don't know when you first started playing like tonally and sort of with like you were talking about your banter it you made me think a little bit of of Julian Baker. But we were we really loved just like the honesty of your lyrics and the interaction with the fans and the sound and so uh yeah, we loved you and it's uh you know, you're, you're one of a few people from those shows I've been fortunate enough to contact and to, and to have on here. So, uh, it's cool. Oh, it's cool to get to talk you. to you. I'm glad that so far connected us. Yeah. How, so how do you, how has that experience been for you playing those shows? Like I was off the top of my head, I'm thinking like, you know, people aren't going there to see you because yeah. they don't know who's playing. Like, is there an, an extra level of anticipation or anxiety when you're doing something like that? Or is it easier sort of being anonymous? Um, I would say that it's in, in the case of so far shows, it's easier to be anonymous. Um, or yeah, thinking about this, I, I think, I think that it's, it's, Amazing that the so far shows, you know, it's, it's an audience where nobody has heard you before, which if you're just like going to a random bar or something and playing for a bunch of strangers, that is usually more intimidating. But in the case of so far, it's like a very neutral audience and that none of them know you, but they all want to like you. Mm. And I think that that's because of like the, just the type of audience that so far attracts is people who love music and love new experiences. And so you have a room full of strangers that all really want to enjoy whatever it is that you're going to do. Um, and I think that that's like the best possible crowd to play to. Uh, and it, and it's, it is different than playing to people that like know the music. Um, sometimes I feel a little more pressure if I'm playing to people that like, bought a ticket to see me mm. because then it's like they have an expectation that you can not live up to. Um, but with so far it's, yeah, it's definitely like just sort of the perfect crowd, I think. Yeah, that's cool. Um, you talked about 
your story a little bit, uh, you know, with your in-between songs. But I've looked up some stuff, too, in preparation for this. Uh, you, you're originally from New York before you went down to Tennessee? Yeah. I'm from, uh, like, right outside New York City. Um, but at, right now, my whole family lives in New York City. So, like, when I visit home, um, it's, it's the city. So uh, from north of the city or on the island? Um, so from like just like Rockland County. Yeah. Okay. Um, but then like I have a ton of family on Long Island and then, um, my mom currently lives in Far Rockaway. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and my dad is in Washington Heights right now. So. Got it. Always on the outskirts of the city, but like New York through and through. Cool. Cool. You were performing music and touring already at like nine, 10, 11 years old? Um, I, yes, I, t- I wouldn't say touring because we only ever played in New York and then the occasional show that was like, like in Connecticut or something. Um, and also my, my mom would drive everywhere. So I think touring is a very generous word for that. But, um, yeah, we, my sister, my, I have an older sister, and me, uh, me and her, and then my best friend and my best friend's older sister were all in a band together from when I was like 10 to maybe 14 ish. Um, and I started writing songs when I was nine. So it's sort of like I started writing songs. We were, the four of us were always hanging out anyways, and we all played music and sang and stuff. And we were like, we should just start playing these songs that I'm writing. And Whoa. it happened really organically for sure. So like, but how does that happen? Are you the product of like an insane amount of hard work or do, do you have the like reincarnated soul of someone and like you felt like you have an innate <laughs> ability? No, seriously. Like, I, I mean, how does that happen? Um, I mean, both of my parents are musical mm. and I remember as a kid, it was never an option of like, if I would learn an instrument, it was more what instrument would I learn? And so I had taken like classical piano lessons and was doing saxophone in middle school. Uh, And then, and neither one of those totally clicked for me. But then I started learning guitar when I was nine and I was obsessed with the Beatles and I would like, I was learning Beatles songs on guitar and learning those chords. And for whatever reason, uh, I, I don't even remember, but it just felt really natural that I would, would write my own songs. Um, and I pretty much started writing songs like as soon as I knew enough chords to write something. Um, and so I think that, I think a lot of it, at that time was really natural. Um, but I've also always taken songwriting weirdly seriously, Mm. especially for a young kid. Um, like I would, I would like show the songs to my mom and she would like give me feedback and be like, this doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? Um, and, and I think that it's, it's been, for like years, for like my whole life now, it feels like 
I've been writing, but also I've been like editing and like working on the craft of it. So I think it's, it's a combination of both for sure. Yeah. I was going to ask you like what was being played around the house, like your early memories of, of music. So was that, were your parents playing the Beatles? Yeah. Um, I mean, my parents had like a huge record or CD collection, I guess. Um, my dad is, he used to be a professional jazz trumpet player, um, in like the eighties, I guess, but he like for the last 20, whatever years he's, um, he's just, He's, he plays trumpet now still, but it's just for fun. Um, but he would always play jazz, like, all the time. Uh, I just remember, like, turning, like, flipping through, like, the jazz stations on the radio. And I could be like, Dad, what song is this? And, and who's playing, like, freaking saxophone? And he would know. He would just, he Whoa. knew everything about, like, every jazz song. Um, and, so there's a lot of jazz. I never really got into that. But then a ton of Beatles. Um, I remember we would listen to like Nirvana at dinner time, and like Beach Boys, and um, like a lot of like some more singer songwriter people too. Um, but yeah, a lot of like music that my parents were were raised on. I think they just played around the house, and the Beatles are definitely my favorite. I was like in love with Paul McCartney. Um, so I was gonna yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say not not in a sense that that you copied anything, but I was like, eh, the boy has everything. I hear like maybe I'm way off base. I hear a little bit of like an across the universe influence, like the da na 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 na. Like I don't know. Like when I was, I this, love that. I will I will take it. Okay, cool. Because <laughs> um, yeah, when I heard that, I was like, mm, I think there's the Beatles influence. So that's really cool. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I think I'm, I, I feel like I fall in love with the Beatles again every, like, every other month. Um, I don't know what it is, uh, but I feel like I could just listen to a Beatles record that I've listened to, like, 800 times, but it just still feels new. And then I'll want to, like, learn all the songs again. Um, and so even though I don't, ever try to sound like them or write like them. I think it's impossible to try to do anything even close to what they did. But um, I would, I would believe it if anyone said they like heard that influence in my music, just because I'm genuinely obsessed and have been cool. <laughs> for like decades. At what point, I, I think I'm right about this because you had, you had talked about it a bit at the show. At what point did you start writing music for, for other artists? Um, I'd say I seriously started that like a year and a half ago, maybe. Okay. Um, and, and I had done, uh, co-writes like over the last few years, I've done them sporadically and I've done a lot of co-writes where we were supposed to be writing for, for me as the artist, but I'd say like a year and a half ago, probably I shifted the focus like when I'm writing by myself, I still write for myself, but when I'm writing with other people, I shifted the focus, like writing for them and not for me, if that makes sense. Yeah. I was really curious about that. And like, and I'm not, I don't know if there's like NDAs and stuff like that. So I'm not going to ask like who you've written for, but I was wondering about sort of 
the feeling of writing for someone else, because I would imagine, I mean, listening to your lyrics and then just like having talked to musicians that the the writing process is a really personal process. And so I wonder mm-hmm. when when you're collaborating or you're writing for someone else's record, are you writing with them in mind or like, are you writing something that's really personal that you're sort of giving over to them? If that makes sense. Um, it can be, it can be either. I think that when I'm writing with another artist, it usually is pulling from their experience. And sometimes it's like a very, um, like sometimes they'll literally tell a story and be like, this is a, going on in my life right now and this is what I want to write about um or other times it's like you just sort of you just sort of start like getting the ball rolling and then hopefully the artist will relate to whatever ideas you're sort of starting to write but I think that no matter what I personally still always like find a way to relate to it, even if it's like another artist's story. Um, Mm. And even if it's something that I've never personally experienced, I feel like I can, um, like I'll try to find an equivalent experience in my life and pull from that feeling, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's cool. Um, But yeah, and, and I think that like, even songs that I write for myself, it's not like every single word of it is completely autobiographical I think it's more at least the way I write I think is more like having a feeling and then trying to just capture the feeling um and yeah even if it's not all like historically accurate or something yeah no that's cool I that makes sense to me and I, I really like how you're um it almost it almost reads like like prose, like you're really good at the storytelling part of songwriting. If, if, if that makes sense, I don't, I don't know, always know the terminology, but, um, like I really like fucked up summer. Like it's a very, like, it's, it's like silly, but also like, uh, like a pretty honest, uh, depiction of a situation that to me reads like, like a short chapter in a novel or something like that. Thank you. I think, um, it's, it's definitely like, when I earlier I was talking about like the editing brain thing, I definitely will go over songs um, many times, probably to like a uh, slightly insane <laughs> like amount, but I'll go, I'll just kind of keep going over songs and, and reading them and like reading the lyrics down over and over and just really being like, is, is this, does this say exactly what it is I'm trying to say, you know? Mm. Um, I think, I think I try to make, like, just try to make the story as clear as it can possibly be. Yeah, that's cool. I think you've been successful in trying to do that. Um, I I was just thinking about that, uh, going back to what we were talking about in the beginning, sort of the environment of writing, you know, New York is a place where if you want to be here for a while, like you you have to develop a certain hardness to you. And yeah. it's something I'm able to shed when I travel. 
but it comes back right away when I come back, like even to like, oh my God, this person's not walking fast enough on this, on the sidewalk or like this person's too close to me on the subway or whatever it is. Like there's like always like this like anxiety in the air to a New Yorker. And I think that that plays itself out in some of like the brashness of music that came out of like the Lower East Side. Um, A lot of like the, the earlier punk bands and heavy bands that came out in New York is maybe not, but is there a difference in, writing songs and music in New York as compared to writing songs and music in Nashville where um, I've been for a very short amount of time, but like it's very music centric. Uh, I would think maybe very supportive and a little bit more relaxed than New York. Yeah, for sure. I think there's a huge difference. Um, I think that New York still, you still need like, a sort of in-your-face wow factor in New York. Um, Or something that leans more performance art totally, like, flies in New York and is awesome. And I think in Nashville, there's really more... I think Nashville is more of, like, a patient city, maybe. Mm. Um, And I think that, like, like, if you just were to go out to a bar and play some songs in Nashville... Uh, I feel like people sort of listen like with their arms crossed, like back in their chair, you know, (laughs) and it's just like a very relaxed, um, I guess more of a storytelling city where like people will listen to the lyrics and people will really appreciate um, like a clever turn of phrase. Um, And I think that, definitely like works its way into like just the songs and artists that come out of here. Um, and I personally think I've grown so much from being in Nashville. I've lived here for like, like maybe like three and a half years now. Um, maybe almost four actually. But I, I think that just the emphasis on like the craft of songwriting here is really, really amazing. And that's why there's like, thousands of songwriters here. Yeah. And I think it kind of just feeds itself. Um, and, I, and I think that in New York, there's definitely like amazing songwriters there, but it doesn't feel like there's as much of a community. Um, it feels like there's more individual little tiny pockets, uh, which still produce great music and really like, I think really amazing artists are still in New York. Um, I think that there's like, pros and cons to being surrounded by other artists all the time, you know? Yeah. And I think that's, that's kind of an accurate depiction of New Yorkers at a whole. We're very united in the fact that we're New Yorkers. Um, but we're also sort of, it's almost like high school clicky. It's like, we are very divided into like our separate niches. That's interesting. Well, I think also in New York, there's, um, like there's nothing to, to be like, there's no norm in New York, you know? Mm. And I think in Nashville, there definitely is a norm and there's, uh, yeah, there's just like a strong, like a very strong community with, which is so awesome, but definitely there are, there are like types of songs that, um, that are successful and like a type of person that is successful. Um, and I think that in New York, 
when you don't really have any like bar, I don't really know how to explain it, but I think that there's just, um, there's just no norm there. And so it's like, you really just have to do whatever the heck you want to do. Is, um, is like playing the Ryman a goal or are, are there any, like, is there a Mecca in, in Nashville? Um, I think, wait, for me or for, or just for people in general? Oh, for you. Um, I don't, I don't know. It's really weird. I think that, um, I don't really have any sort of, like, I think playing the Ryman would be dope. I don't really know if I have any sort of marker in my mind of like, oh, that'll be like, like then I can chill, you know, <laughs> that'll mean I, I'm successful. I think, um, I think I, a lot of my goals are more like creative goals, mm. I guess. Like I really want to make an album that I'm like in love with every single word and every single note on it. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, the Ryman would be cool though. <laughs> I know you put out, I guess it's an EP recently, but you were talking about recording. I don't know if that's what it was or if you were recording something larger. Um, well, I haven't put out an EP yet, but it's pretty much done and I'm okay. going to be putting it out um, in the next couple months. But yeah, I'm working on an album now uh, from quarantine. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. <laughs> which, is, which is really, it's been really fun. Um, I think... Like, I've never really gotten into recording before. This has been the first time that I've really, like, just spent a ton of time on the computer, like, like tracking things and trying to produce. And I'm definitely going to bring in another producer to um, edit everything and, like, mix it all. But, yeah, it's been, it's been fun. You know, you mentioned success, and I think that success looks very different to different people. You, you've done, you've made a couple of moves in your life that I think are, uh, demonstrate a lot of confidence. They're like pretty punk moves. Uh, if I, if I'm correct about these, uh, I think you left a music program from a school that some people would think like, well, that's a very prestigious program. And I think also I saw this on your website that you had been signed to Sony and you left both of those. So I was wondering about like if a similar decision-making process went into both of those, and if you were like choosing the craft over maybe sort of like the, I don't know, mainstream approach to making music. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't totally know. <laughs> I think I, it definitely isn't like a, um, a mainstream versus not mainstream thing. I think it's more, um, just learning more about myself as I get older and sort of having these pictures of what the path is supposed to look like or what success is going to look like. And then getting to that point that I thought all my questions would be answered and they're not, you know, Mm. like I I think um, especially signing, I, I signed a deal with Sony when I was, uh, I met them when I was 17 and I signed when I was 18 and I'm 22 now. So it was like a little while ago. 
but um, I just remember like all through the years of, of playing music when I was young, I was just like, okay, if I could just like get signed to a record label, that'll be like, that's it. That, mm. like, all you have to do is get signed to the label. And then from there, you're just like coasting. And it's just, that's just not true at all. Um, and I think that I sort of got to that point that I've been working really, really hard to get at. And, and it, it also isn't like you get there and you realize it's not what you want in an instant. It was like a, also a very long process of realizing that that wasn't what I wanted. Um, and then, and then it just, I think just, I had to kind of be honest with myself and, and, and just make some decisions, but like, I'm really glad with all the decisions I've, I've made, you know, did you release anything through Sony? No, I never did. Um, we, I mean, and, and I'm still like, I still am close with all the people that work there and they're all really great people. Really the, the problem is just that they're the, the branch of Sony that I was signed to is a, is a country label. And I don't want to do country music. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it sounds so obvious now but I think for a while I was like, well, you know, maybe if I just like put a, a pedal steel in this song, <laughs> then it, then it'll fly, you know? Um, and yeah. And it was just sort of a process of me like just really realizing like what I, what it is I do want to be doing, you know? Yeah. I mean, Which I, is something that's not necessarily any genre. Well, I think that's really cool. You know, there's, there's people who, work their whole careers hoping to get a major, hoping to get like that type of attention. Um, and you know, and some people go along with it, even if it's not exactly what they want to do. And not that this was your case, but a lot of times, you know, major labels were, will exert control over either the, the sound or, you know, actually own the music that's created. And if we're talking about masters, um, so I think that, yeah. that that's a, you know, it takes a lot of guts to do that. It's a, it's a that's an admirable, admirable move. That's really cool. <laughs> no, and, I, and I think though that like labels aren't bad at, at all. I think that it's, it's just up to like, as an artist, I think that like at some point I'm sure I'll find the label again, but I think it needs to be, once I know who I am and, and like really have the, my identity as an artist figured out as much as possible. Um, just cause I think, yeah, I think the last time I signed, I was just a little, it was just too early in the process for me personally, where like I had all these ideas of what it, like who I was and what I wanted to be doing, but I hadn't fully like realized them yet. And so it just wasn't the right time for me to have somebody else come in and try to tell me, like, try to sort of impose their vision. Mm -hmm. but, I, but sometimes that totally works, you know, like, like the, the vision that a label has coincides with like the vision of the artist has. And it's like, great, you know? Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I have here in my notes, so cover songs can cover songs can be disastrous if someone plays a cover of a song and 
it just totally misses the mark. Like you're not into it and you're like, oh man, like I wish that song would have been left alone. But sometimes cover songs are really beautiful and sometimes people take their own take on it. So a couple of things come to mind. Uh, there was actually a band we saw play a So Far show and they covered I Want to Dance with Somebody by Whitney Houston. And I was just, oh, nice. yeah, it was so cool. Um, Julian Baker is someone I've mentioned before uh, at the start of this podcast. I just really love her. And she she did a, a Mountain Goats cover and like totally transformed the song in a way. Like uh, Cat Power has done this too. Like she did a Rolling Stones cover. And oh, yeah, like way back now, but, but just did like part of the song and totally changed the sound of it. But it, it came out really beautiful. Um, I had another one. Oh, yeah. So I've been talking to this guy from the Philippines to, to come on the podcast. And, you know, I, I, I'm i not not for cool points or anything, but like I've never really heard Billie Eilish. Like I know that name, but I heard, yeah. him, I heard him do a cover and I was like, man, this is really beautiful. And then I found out it was her song and I listened to it and I was like, holy crap, she can really sing. But his interpretation of it was really cool. Um, I'm, so that's a really long rambling uh, tangent to ask you these two questions, which are, are, are there any songs that you love to cover and are there any artists or songs that like you would love to cover in the future? Mm. I mean, I've always like covered just a ton of Beatles songs. Mm. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that that's probably most of the songs that I that I know how to play are Beatles songs. So I'm trying to think. Like, weirdly enough, I've never really done covers in my sets before. Um, I've really just done a ton of original voice, but. I think there there might be like some videos on YouTube of me covering stuff. I remember once I did like a um like a slowed down version of I Want You Back. Oh, that's um, cool. <laughs> Jackson Five. It was like Oh, that is on YouTube. Like a, yeah. A piano ballad version. Yeah. Um but yeah, I'm trying to think. I'd say I'd say Beatles mostly, and then also like John Mayer, I think. Um I went through a huge John Mayer phase when I was in high school. Um, and I was like learning all of his songs and, uh, and kind of like trying to learn a bit of the theory behind it all. And then learn some of his guitar parts and like weird tunings and stuff like that. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's weird, but, uh, you have like a very soft singing voice and so I think it would be really cool. Like no one specific comes to mind, but like something really, really heavy. But you play like a softer singer-songwriter version of it. I don't know why. I think that would sound really cool. Um, so if I see yeah. that in the future, I'm going to remember that I told you that today. So yeah. <laughs> Totally. We'll give you credit. Cool, cool. Are there any um, – anyone like contemporary, anybody playing today that – really inspires you or you like you'd love to either collaborate with or tour with? Um, I mean, I, I love a lot of like, like I love like Maggie Rogers and mm. Pete Bridgers and a lot of 
like like Casey Musgraves. Like there's a lot of really unique and just dope badass women that are making really cool music. Um, I love 1975. Uh, I feel I always feel so inspired by them. Um, I feel like that's recently like when I'm looking for inspiration, I can like put them on and just get so stoked. Um, trying to think recently, uh, I'm like so bad at, at naming contemporary music. Cause like for the past few weeks I've been like in a Joni Mitchell rabbit hole, no, that's cool um, though. which is like, she's always relevant, but just not like current. Um, but no, that's cool. I, yeah, I'm, I love Phoebe Bridgers. I love I love those two songs she just put out too. Um, yeah, same. Yeah, she's great. Um, so then uh, you know, people have heard at least one by now at this point in us talking, but there'll be you know, two or three songs that are put into this episode, so people will hear that and they'll love it, and then they'll go check you out. Um, so I'll link to the show, the, your social media and your website and everything. So people can find that, but you were talking Mm -hmm. about recording. Like I know nothing is certain right now because we're in the middle of like our all like our dystopian nightmares right now, but what can people maybe expect in terms of output from you in the future? Do you have any goals? Do you want to be touring when things get back to normal? Um, yeah, I would love to, to tour I, um, yeah, I mean, there were, I had a ton of plans that were obviously canceled along with the rest of the world. But, um, I think the the biggest thing that people can count on right now is that I'm going to have new music out soon. I have an EP that's done that we're just sort of figuring out the release plan of it all. And then I have, um, this other album that I'm currently working on, uh, and that's kind of like, those are kind of like my highest excitements right now. It's just those two projects. Um, and whenever, yeah, whenever we're all allowed back in public again, um, I'm sure I'll be playing shows. I think that's just like, just a dream right now. <laughs> yeah. For everyone, huh? Um, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I'll encourage people to go check that stuff out. Um I, I, I'm itching to get back out <laughs> in public around people. I can't wait to go see bands again. So yeah. next time you're up in New York and you're performing, I will be happy to be in the crowd. Oh, amazing. And until then, I'll do some Instagram lives. I'll- oh, cool. Yeah. So uh, give Annika a follow uh, on Instagram so that you can find those things. I've seen you've, you've posted about them on Facebook too. So we'll, we'll promote all that stuff in the notes. Cool. That is a wrap on episode number 157 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. I will play you out with one final song here. This is called The Boy Who Has Everything. Both of the songs that were played in this episode are listed in the show notes for this episode. Make sure you go to iTunes and you purchase a song and you go check out Annika when things open back up and she's able to tour. For now, thank you everyone for listening. And as always, please take care of each other. See you next time. What do you-
Without.